Hello, welcome to this BMJ podcast about well-being. In this episode, we'll talk about how to cope with the increasing use of telehealth during the pandemic. I'm Abby Rimmer, careers editor at the BMJ, with an interest in doctors' well-being. And I'm Kat Chatfield, a GP by training with an interest in quality and patient safety. Abby and I co-lead the BMJ's campaign on well-being, which is even more important than usual during COVID-19. The closure of GP surgeries has forced doctors to carry out consultations on the phone. And not just GPs, our secondary care colleagues are finding that they're also having to change the way they practice. Many doctors are used to doing a certain amount of telehealth and out-of-hours services and telephone triage, but what happens when you lose that patient contact altogether? Today we'll be talking to a UK-based GP who helps train people in telephone triage about their experience during the pandemic and tips they can offer to struggling medics. So Abby, what we've seen in the NHS and the time of coronavirus in many health systems around the world is a rapid change in how people are practising, not just in delivering care to COVID patients, but in delivering what might be routine services. How do you think doctors are coping with these really quick changes to what they do? Well, I think it's an interesting one. And again, I think it's one of our topics that maybe on on the surface doesn't appear, you know, necessarily to do with well-being but actually as you say Kat I think it's probably the change in practice that will be having an effect on the way people feel about their work and kind of the job satisfaction that they get out of it. I imagine that there's lots of doctors who miss seeing their patients I mean you're a clinician you probably know more about that than me but I imagine not having that actual person-to-person contact has quite a big effect on how you feel about your day job. Yeah absolutely I think um, a lot of a lot of us go into medicine and, and sort of the health services in general because we value that that face-to-face connection and we value that kind of caring aspect of it. Um, and I think that can feel a lot more distant when you're consulting remotely, whether that's by phone or by video. Um, and I think everyone's experiencing some of that in the moment with uh, with isolation. We're, we're experiencing that loss of, of face-to-face and personal connection as a whole. I think also it's that, for me, it's that feeling of... Um, of not practicing within your comfort zone and not practicing within your competencies I think that can be very very frightening and I think often you know we want to feel in control we want to feel competent we want to feel like we know what we're doing Um, and it takes a while to build up that those skills and that expertise and then suddenly when you're asked to work in a completely new way um, you know you feel you feel risky you feel like you're not being safe you feel like you can't do all the things that you would normally do when you face with a particular patient, a particular scenario. Um, and I think that's very unsettling. Um, and that coupled with all of this uncertainty for everybody about around coronavirus, I think that makes for a really difficult working environment. And I think it would be interesting to hear from Rowena how she thinks sort of doctors in different specialties deal with that. Because I would imagine that maybe GPs are probably more used to managing that sort of level of risk because they work on their own most of the time anyway one-to-one with patients whereas I wonder if you work as a doctor in a hospital where you're more used to having a team around you when you then move into kind of a one-on-one telehealth situation it's more stressful because the onus is then more on you as an individual than it was in your kind of familiar working environment so it'd be interesting to hear from her whether that has an effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, a lot of um, secondary care clinicians work one on one with patients in in clinics and things like that. But I think you're right, you're used to be able to pop out to um, 
uh, you know, in, in primary care as well, you used to be able to pop out and ask someone or grab something or grab a nurse or, mm. you know, all of those things that they're right at your fingertips. Um, and, and to sort of have those tools in your kind of um, toolbox taken away from you, I think, I think just can be very difficult. Well, we're delighted to have on the podcast a GP who's been dealing with all of this lately. Good morning. My name's Rowena McCash. I'm a GP in the northeast, and I also do some out-of-hours telephone triage and triage training. Thank you and welcome to the podcast. So many GPs and some secondary care doctors are used to consulting on the telephone. As you said, it's part of your normal day job. What have you found is different about doing this during COVID? I think most of the time when we're teleconsulting, we're trying to work out whether we can manage something over the telephone and considering bringing that person in is always an option or expecting to see them in clinic at at a later date. However, at the moment, we're obviously trying to avoid those face-to-face contacts wherever possible. And there are certainly things which we're managing over the phone, which in the past we would have tried to see people in person. And we're having to weigh that up on an individual basis, um, both for the risk to the patient and to the risk to the clinician when we're thinking about whether someone should be seen or whether they can actually be managed thoroughly over the telephone. Okay, so you talked about risk quite a lot there. So um, can you talk a bit more about that? Like what's changed in terms of the risks of of how we deliver services? Well, the guidance is to reduce face-to-face contacts as much as possible, um, which is a fairly woolly set of guidance. um, And we have to make judgment calls as to when we can safely do that. Um, Actually, we're managing in GP the vast majority of consultations over the phone. That does involve some softer prescribing. So um, our um, antibiotic guardianship may have reduced slightly, but we have to take that in the context of an international pandemic that we're dealing with um, and balance that with the safety to the clinicians of bringing people into the service and the safety of the patients. So for example, if I spoke to someone with a child who I was concerned about, I would be more likely to see them than if I spoke to someone with an 86-year-old frail person with a chest problem, I would be less likely to see them both from the risk to themselves and the risk to the clinician. Um, and that is very different to how we would normally work. Normally we would aim to see frail people um, as a priority. So, Rowena, you're obviously kind of fairly comfortable with um, consulting remotely, but I imagine some of your colleagues are less familiar with that. I mean, talking about these risks, what can doctors do to sort of help themselves feel like they're still practising safely and mitigating these risks as much as they can? Well, I think it's very important to remember that even with face-to-face contacts, the majority of your time is spent having a conversation, is is spent with history-taking. And all doctors are experts at history-taking. It's something we're trained in, um, communication skills, um, negotiating. And one of the key things that needs to be extremely um, carefully managed in telephone consulting is the safety netting, because you haven't got that end-of-the-bed assessment that we all talk about. You can't glance at the person and know immediately whether they're ill um, very ill or generally well and you have to use those um, non-visual cues you do have some information over the telephone you can listen to their breathing if someone is speaking quite comfortably you can um, extrapolate from that that they're not in extreme distress Um, but you do have to use um, a lot more of those non-visual cues and remembering that the patient can't see you so um, we do a lot of nodding and smiling and you know encouraging 
encouraging non-verbal clues without even realizing as part of our consultation you need to be much more overt with your expressions so you need to say things like oh yes mm-hmm um out loud if you feel yourself nodding add an add a sound to that so that the patient can hear that and empathy needs to be more overt as well they can't see your facial expression so you need to be saying things like i can hear that's very difficult for you because they can't see that sympathetic look on your face um that that helps them understand and helps them feel comfortable with carrying on it's quite interesting that's like interviewing somebody over the phone i often found myself nodding and then i forget that they can't see me so i have to add a mm mm-hmm to encourage them do you think patients miss out on seeing their doctor do you think they sort of less feel less confident in the consultation because they can't see you I think in GP, some patients feel the access is easier because they can get a telephone call from the comfort of their own home. And for people who are frail and people who find difficulty going out and for people who are scared, we've got to remember we're not the only ones who are scared in this situation. The patients don't want to come and see us any more than we want to see them on the whole um, because they don't want to be exposed to this virus um, and they understand it less well than we do. All they know is that lots of people are dying. Of course, some people aren't taking it very seriously, but for the vast majority of the people I'm speaking to they're very receptive to dealing with this over the phone obviously you know some people do get some comfort they we may be the only person they see or speak to and it's important to remember that as part of the hidden agendas when we're speaking to patients particularly um, people who live alone and they may be ringing up with what seem like minor ailments um, and we have to try and be patient and understand that they may just be looking for some of that human contact that we're all struggling with missing out on you, you as someone who's obviously got experience at consulting remotely, um, what challenges do you think colleagues who are less familiar with remote consulting are facing at the moment? So I think if you've not done a lot of telephone consulting or even done any telephone consulting, which will particularly be the case for some hospital specialties, um, it's very stressful. There, there are very specific things about telephone consulting that we don't experience in our day-to-day lives. So you, you can't see the person, you can't engage with the person, you, you can't comfort the person in the same way if they become upset. And you also generally are sitting by yourself. Um, quite a lot of us are working from home, which comes with its own challenges um, both sort of practically but psychologically as well I think one thing you can do um, is that you do have your colleagues your colleagues are still there um, and we can use these same methods that we're using to talk to patients to talk to colleagues so um, video meetings telephone calls messages on your whatever your IT system is and we're doing that a lot we're, we're sending each other messages if it's a difficult case it should still be discussed that 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 remains an option for you um, and you should still feel supported in this very different way of working you're, if, you're, if you're a more junior member of staff or a, or a newly qualified GP for example you should still feel that you can contact and discuss cases, in fact more so maybe than um, previously because you are working in a different way in a, in a new um, way of working that most of us, even if we're experienced in telephone triage, this is still a very different way of working I, I myself have found some of the case is extremely stressful um, and how I've dealt with that is to contact my colleagues um, and you know run things by them bounce ideas off them and sometimes it's appropriate to share that um, uncertainty with the patients as well obviously you have to pick your moments um, and pick the patients that will, will benefit from that but saying to someone I understand this isn't how we would normally do it um, and I want you to be extremely careful and look out for 
and that's where your safety netting comes in um, that is a valid way of managing things sharing that anxiety with the patient so that they understand that you know this isn't the normal way of working you know that this is different and you are taking that into account in your management plans so for example if I was speaking to someone who had a significant health condition for which they should be shielding like someone with severe asthma but then they were presenting to me with a different unrelated health condition that I would normally want to examine um, that that presents a difficulty um, and I don't only have to weigh up the, the risks of their current health condition but also their chronic health condition um, and I found that really difficult um, because if that person had um, not had a severe health condition even under the current circumstances I might have arranged for them to be seen however um, and, and our sort of all our training on health equality and making sure people are treated in the same way would tell me that I should. But actually, you know, the, those risks and benefits have, have tipped at the moment. And I found that very difficult. Um, and, you know, again, sharing that with the patient that they are at more risk. So therefore, we are able to take slightly more risk on their current um, acute presentation um, to help mitigate the risk to their chronic disease um, was very helpful and the patient agreed and again that safety netting was what made me feel better in that situation I, I gave I asked the patient to write things down I asked them to share them with a family member I made sure they had things like a thermometer um, and um, the ability to assess their situation and other people around them so it's using all those other tools to try and make yourself um, feel better that even though this isn't how you would normally practice it still is the right thing to do in this unprecedented situation. And Rowena do you change the way that you make notes about the consultation if it's on the phone? I, I think you need to be quite thorough with your note taking um, and particularly um, your specific note taking so a lot of us will just put worsening advice given as a, um, a sort of catch-all for safety netting but I think it's important to record exactly what you've said not least so that you can make sure that you have said all the relevant things to the patient and the other advantage of telephone consulting which you don't have when you're in clinic is that if you do think of something else something you need to tell the patient you can ring them back you're unlikely to go chasing them out into the car park but you can certainly um, ring a patient back and say I just thought I should mention um, and it's absolutely fine to do that I don't think we should feel that you know patients know that we're working differently and I don't think we should feel that we can't um, behave differently in our contacts with patients obviously you know you, you have to frame it with the patient is I was just considering your case and decided that I needed to mention this additional piece of information um, or ask this additional question but we do have the advantage on the whole of knowing that most people are at home and contactable which is something which we don't get in the uh, in the usual working hours. And you mentioned that everybody's scared um, and that, you know, consulting this way can be very stressful. Um, what What's it like being that point of contact for all these people who are who are sort of scared and isolated and uncertain? Like, well, I think it's a bit like breaking bad news, except bad news has been broken to the entire country um, and everybody is responding in in the ways that people do when they hear um, worrying information. Um, some people aren't taking it seriously at all and you have to take the approach of trying to make them understand that there are reasons they can't come in, there are reasons they can't do their normal activities um, and there are reasons their hospital appointment has been deferred or made a telephone appointment and that these are valid and for their own safety. Um, 
it is difficult talking to people who are struggling with their mental health because that is a huge and is going to be a huge burden um, of this um, disease and that's very stressful often people uh, when they ring with mental health concerns generally they're ringing with things you can quite easily reassure them about whereas at the moment and often they've got quite rational fears and it's much more difficult to um, you know to reassure people and explain those fears away and manage that that risk and and people People that have health anxiety, um, you know, obviously they're struggling both with the the, uh, the con- concern about coronavirus and their concerns about. Um there are other physical health problems and of course you have to be aware that might set off your own concerns you know we're all um the people that are actually potentially more exposed especially those of us that are still doing face-to-face contacts um you know so people are expressing concerns which may seem um minimal in their setting compared to how you're managing your own setting and again it's important to use your colleagues as a contact there um to decompress when you come off the phone yes there might be a list of people waiting but if you need to take a moment um, Um, breathing exercises grounding techniques are all very helpful in these settings the 54321 is what we call a grounding technique which you can do when you're feeling anxious to bring yourself down to earth as it were so you start with five things you can see so just look around your environment it doesn't matter what they are four things you can hear um three things you can smell two things you can touch and then imagining a taste I think I might have got smell and touch the wrong way around there but it doesn't really matter the point is you're you're focusing your attention on something else and it can just help slow your breathing calm your heart rate down help you feel more in control and back it and bring you back to your environment as well when you're feeling um sort of out at sea as it were it helps bring you back to the space that you're in which hopefully feels like a safe space and don't make another phone call until you feel that you're calm enough and safe enough to do so because we all know that the mistakes that do happen in in um, healthcare tend to happen when people are distracted for other reasons so it's another safety aspect but it's also a self-care aspect of making sure you're looking after yourself because you can't give effective care to your patients if you're not able to um, think rationally and, and think straight yeah, I'm going to do that. I was just thinking so that. Useful. I'm going to use that. <laughs> it's, yeah. oh, it's great. Yeah. It's great. The other one is the, uh, the there's another one, which is a, the cup of tea one where you have a, put a piece of chocolate in your mouth and a warm drink and you concentrate on the sensation of it melting. Yeah, that that one's nice brilliant. as well. I think I'm going to need to do that all the time. But we'll all be very fat if we do that between every consultation. <laughs> <laughs> and those are some really nice tips, I think, for, for doctors who might be struggling with starting out with telephone consultations. I imagine, though, in this pandemic, there are some people who've never had to do this before, who are, for whatever reason, maybe they are in a particular group that needs to self-isolate, that they're working in this way for the first time. I mean, do you have any other practical tips for people who are coming newly to um, telephone consultations? Well, certainly when I first qualified and started doing telephone consultations as a regular part of my job, I used to have a crib sheet, um, which included the basically the, the old-fashioned parts of a history um, and parts of a consultation. And I used to tick them off as I went along so that I knew I'd um, managed the entirety of the consultation and I knew that I'd done all of the things that needed to be done and I got to the end of that. Because it's much more difficult to wrap up a telephone consultation um, when someone's in front 
front of you and you've done an examination and you hand them a prescription for example um, or you tell them right this is when we'll see you next it's much easier whereas I find that having having a visual aid in front of me that gives me that information so I know that I've sort of chunking and checking myself as it were um, I know that I've been through every step in that consultation and checking with the patient as well because I think in the room we all know that patients are a bit disinhibited in asking additional things and while I'm here doctor for example and actually on the phone I've my experience is that that's not so um, doesn't happen so much and so it's important to remember to wrap up the consultation by asking was there anything else there is the risk that that opens a a whole entire another consultation but at the same time at least you know if if something hasn't been clear then the patient has that opportunity um, and you're able to feel that that has been wrapped up and and the consultation has been closed in a satisfactory manner because it can be very difficult if you if you finish a telephone consultation and it feels like the conversation was not complete and how do how do you deal with that you know feeling that as you said the consultation wasn't as complete or you weren't as as good as you normally were I mean I know I know as we said you know what you're doing in this situation but how how can other people sort of deal with that and kind of going to sleep at night knowing that they've done what they could well I think accepting that you don't have the services around you that you normally do you probably don't have the options to refer in the normal way and you don't have the options to see people in the normal way and you don't have the options so it's not all on yourself as well this is a a pandemic this is an unprecedented situation and um, every sector has been affected and all we can do is do our best for our patients with the with the skills that we have which are significant you know our, our telephone our history taking skills which is what we're using in telephone consultation and our negotiating skills are you know it, it, very advanced it's not something that is new to us it's just a new way of doing it um it is how you sleep at night I think um, is going to be difficult because I think we're all being kept up by um, our fears about the virus our fears about maybe frail family members that we have ourselves and how their medical care will be managed and and I would say if you do have somebody um, with the ever-changing advice and the ever-changing information that you do think actually that maybe I should have managed differently go back and do it again, call them back. You do have that option to do that. Um, and I certainly have called back patients, particularly when the screening advice, the shielding advice changed, patients that were given one advice one day and then the advice changed. I sought them out and, and contacted them again to give different advice. And that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do in the same way that if you saw someone again face-to-face, you, you might do something differently on another contact if you had different information. Well, that was really interesting. I especially thought Rowena's point about patients being aware that doctors are working in different ways. So therefore, you know, if you need to call someone back, that's okay. I thought that was a really great point. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we one of the things that we've been talking about for so long is kind of more shared decision making and and shared care. And it sort of feels like there's an opportunity here to to sort of all be in this together and as as Rowena was saying you know everybody is scared everybody is dealing with the same uncertainties obviously in the context of different health conditions and different work settings etc um but I think that sense of shared purpose um is really positive I also love the grounding technique I am totally going to try try that when I'm feeling stressed out and I think that idea that um 
you have to put yourself first you have to kind of you're not going to be able to deliver good care if you're not in a good place and so taking the time to to not pick up the phone and get onto the next call but to to do that grounding or to you know just breathe for a minute and center yourself I think it's so important for us to remember that absolutely I also liked her, her tips on just making sure that you stay in touch with colleagues and make use of the technology that you have so that you're still talking to them and talking to them about difficult cases so you, you don't feel isolated at home. Absolutely. Everyone's still there just because you're not sort of physically located next to them. Everyone is, is still there and able to support. Well, that is all we have time for. Um, thank you so much to our guest, Irina McCash, for taking time out to talk to us and, and give us some good advice. You can check us out on social media. We're at BMJ underscore latest on Twitter, or you can join the BMJ Wellbeing Group on Facebook. We'd love to hear your ideas for what we can cover later in the season. Until next time, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye.